from the book of Psalms, again, Psalm 22. Psalm number 22, and we shall read from verse 19 to the end of the psalm. Verses 19 to 31. Psalm 22, verse 19. I'm reading from the uh, English Standard Version, but it's similar to the one that you normally use here. Psalm 22, verse 19. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who... Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Amen. May God bless his word to us. John chapter 12. And we shall read verses 12 to 28. Verses 12 to 28. This is God's word. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, 
just as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Amen. This is the passage at which we'll be looking at in a moment. and We pray for God's blessing on the reading and the preaching of his word. And before we think together about God's word, we shall sing again. Let me read again from uh, John chapter 12, verses 20 and 21. Verses 20 and 21, and I'd like to speak to you this evening from the last five words in verse 21. But let's read the two verses again. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, and hear the words of our text, We wish to see Jesus. We wish to see Jesus. In the first century, Jerusalem was a very little city. But at least once in the world, uh, once in the year, it became quite enormous. Because at the Passover feast, people came from all over the world to celebrate the feast in Jerusalem. 
Experts on the first century tell us that there could have been 150,000 people at Jerusalem for Passover. That's, that's hard. It's hard to imagine. Vast. But anyway, they're vast, vast visitors. And they came from all over the world. And John tells us in verse 20 that among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Now, they were mostly Jews, of course. Jewish city, Jewish people, Jewish faith, Jewish festival. But, he says, there were some Greeks coming along with all the Jews to worship this uh, this, uh, ceremony. These Jews are called in the Bible God-fearers. They're godly men. They have been attracted by the God of the Jews. And they want to worship that God. They've learned his law. And they're allowed to come to the temple. And at the temple there was a court on the outside called the court of Gentiles. And they could go into that court and they could worship God. They couldn't go any further than that. But they were allowed to worship God in the temple at the, in the, in, on the outskirts. Now some of these men apparently had heard about Jesus. We don't know how. Had they heard about what he had done for Lazarus? A few days earlier, a man who died? And Jesus brought him back to life? Had they been out in the street one day... When the people were cheering at the king of Israel. Maybe they said, who who, who, who are you cheering for? Jesus. Or maybe they heard something from his enemies. His chief priests and the Pharisees who hated him. We're not sure. But I think it's probably something positive they heard. And these men decided they would try to meet Jesus. These Greeks. Try to meet Jesus. And they found a disciple with a Greek name. Philip is a Greek name. And we're told that he lived in Bethsaida. And the scholars tell us that that was a Greek-speaking city. So these Greeks came to a man with a Greek name. And they said, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And that's all we're told about them. What they wanted to happen, we don't know. What happened to them, we don't know. If they ever did meet Jesus, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. John just shows us these Greeks coming and saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Anything may have happened. Someday we'll find out. But you see, friends, what is is important And John often does this in his gospel. It is a deep meaning, an underlying meaning, something beyond anything the Greeks themselves could have understood. There's a message here. A message for every age and every people. And that's why John, the the only gospel writer, to put it into his gospel, a group of Greeks, who came and said, we wish to see Jesus. And that must then be a very, very important statement. One that we should think about 
and learn from. It was important, as we'll see in a moment, it was important to our Lord himself and to his heart. So let me look at these words with you this evening. Let's look at them together. We would wish to see Jesus, and let's look at them from three angles. To look at them different angles, and we'll see maybe more of what we understand about it. First of all, you've got here a prophecy for the Savior. A prophecy for the Savior. And friends, just let us take a moment to imagine the terrible time that our Lord was having. The mental conflict, the agony, the difficulties. He's a young man, somewhere around 30, and he's going to die. And he knows he's going to die. And he's going to die horribly and painfully and terribly. And recently he's been hearing the crowds cheering. You look at verse 13 sometime. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But Jesus knows that very, very soon they'll not be cheering him. They'll be cursing him. And they'll be shouting, crucify him. Crucify him. And his disciples, they're loyal but they're not yet very clever or very strong and they get mixed up at times and they go away and hide sometimes and they say things wrong and they're still in many ways disappointing men and the chief priests and the Pharisees hate him and he knows he's going to be crucified and you see we can we can respectfully and, and, and yet honestly say that there's, there are two parts in the Lord's heart. In himself, he is committed to his Father's will. He wants to please his Father. He has joy in pleasing his Father. And yet at the same time, as a human being, there's loneliness and there's pain and there's sorrow. And friends, I'm sure you know that both of those things can be present at once in any good human being. That we love God. And we have joy and salvation. And yet at the same time, we're weeping at something that makes us sad. He has wept over the city. He has been despised and rejected by men. He says in verse 27, Now is my soul troubled. That's Jesus, the perfect man, the godly man. Now is my soul troubled. And suddenly the disciples come and tell him about Greeks who want to find him. And it's as if a window opens in the dark tunnel of the road to Calvary. And out of that window there's a wide, beautiful view. 
For friends, you see, in the, in the words of these few Gentiles, you have the nations of the world speaking. You have men and women of every people and every tribe and every language. And they're coming to the Messiah of Israel. And they all have one request. We wish to see Jesus. And in these words, we wish to see Jesus from Gentiles. Our Lord is being given the ability to see the first fruits of the great harvest which is going to be reaped throughout the centuries. We've just been singing it from Psalm 22. Then men remember will the Lord to earth's remotest shore and all the Gentile nations turn To worship and adore. That psalm was written by a man. Who lived in a wee totally lonely country. In the middle of a desert. And they were the only people who worshipped that God. And yet he wrote. Men will remember the Lord. To earth's remotest shore. It's going to fill up the whole world. It's a paradox you see. The Jews want to kill him. The Gentiles want to meet him. The Pharisees snarl sarcastically in verse 19. Look, the world has gone after him. Ha, ha, ha. But they're speaking more truly than they realize. That is what's going to happen. The world is going to go after him. Jesus, as it were, sees the whole world here. This is God the Father telling his Son that his work is going to succeed. His death will bear fruit. The peoples of the earth will come in faith to him. Look at his answer. Philip and Andrew come and tell Jesus that there are Gentiles saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Verse 23. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it will remain alone. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. Jesus hears those words and he says, that's everything. That's God keeping his promises. That's God bringing the nations. Just before I die, that's my father saying to me, son, it's all going to work. It's all going to be blessed. You're going to bring millions of people from throughout the earth to yourself. Sir, We want to see Jesus. Some of you will remember I'm sure. That this very truth. Was set forth by Gentiles again. At the beginning of his life on earth. This time they came from the east. Matthew 2.2 We saw his star when it rose. And we have come to worship him. That's what the Gentiles said. About the little Jewish baby. We've come to worship him. That's God's 
prophecy. Now at the end of that life, the Gentiles come from the West with the same desire. We wish to see Jesus. How gracious is the Father to His Son. How He sends His Son encouragement when He's about to suffer desperately and forsaken. He gives him these words through his ears and into his heart and into his mind. This is what will happen. What this must have meant to the heart of the God-man seeing the Gentiles just before he steps onto the cross. We want to see Jesus. Friends, the rest of the New Testament's here. The growth of the early church. The history of the church. The missionaries. The new continents opening up. You and I are here in this verse. We're the Gentiles seeking the Savior. We want to see Jesus. This is the heart cry of the elect. This is the future of faith. No matter how discouraging a situation we may be in, there will always, there will always be some people coming with this request. We wish to see Jesus. A prophecy for the Savior. But then secondly, we have here, I think, a program for the church. A program for the church. Sometimes we need to ask basic questions about church life. I suppose now that I've retired, I could ask all sorts of questions about church life. Why are we here today? What are we doing? What do we want to happen? How can we keep the church going? How can we get the church to grow? All sorts of questions. Various proper reasons. Various good answers. Friends, surely no group of Christians could do better than to make these words one of their great guiding principles. We wish to see Jesus. What are you about? We wish to see Jesus. And friends, I believe that in effect, that is what you're saying to your minister. That's your chief constant request to Harry. That's what he must engrave on his mind and in his heart and it must dominate all pulpit preparation they need to see Jesus that's what I'm for that's who I am you know that's what the Lord did when he was a preacher to his disciples he showed them Jesus in Luke 24 27 we read of Jesus that he interpreted to them In all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He preached himself. He showed them Jesus. And in your group here, I'm sure, all varying personalities. You're not all exactly identical to each other. You've all got different interests, different pasts, different hearts, different stages in Christian life. Poor Harry has got to feed everybody and meet every need. 
But first and foremost, you're saying, or you should be saying, or you ought to say, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And it's that that builds a people. We could see it also applying to the elders. What you see in them and learn from them. Now why the two Jonathans have their their wives here tonight (laughs) and aren't here themselves. (laughs) But you you girls will be well able to tell them everything. (laughs) But as you look at your elders, as you look at your elders, and I know you love your elders and you honour your elders, this is really what you're saying to them. We wish to see Jesus in you. And from you. In their lives. In their behaviment. In their behaviment towards you. In their counsel for you. We want to see Jesus. This is what they need to make, to, to take for themselves and their minister. In pastoral work. When they're going to visit you. When they're going to visit you. It's so that you can see Jesus in them. And hear Jesus in them. That's what it's for. And one of the things I I love about elders. 43 years with elders. And thank God for elders. They often, often showed Jesus in ways that they themselves didn't even realize about themselves. And didn't know. But when we looked at them, when we looked at them, we saw Jesus. We want to see Jesus. This is what the leaders in turn deserve, desire for church members. This is what the minister and elders would say of you. Dear friends, In you, we want to see Jesus. Not just that you'll participate in the programs. They want to be able to look at you and to see Jesus. Galatians 4.19, Paul writes as a pastor, he says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That's what I want, Paul. I want to see Christ formed in you. That's what your minister and elders want. To see Christ growing in you. Becoming truer in you and fuller in you. Wonderful. How many people in the world have that desire for you? And then we could take the words a little bit further and we could pull in here the parents in the congregation and the teachers and the youth leaders. I don't realistically think that many of your children are actually saying these words or perhaps even thinking these words. But really, really, that's the request from them to you. That's what they need to say. That's what will bless them. Those for whom God has made you responsible, even if they don't all realize what they expect from you 
The reality, the need is that in you, in their parents, in their grandparents, in their CY leaders, in their Sabbath school teachers, what do they need? They need to see Jesus. And they need to hear Jesus. And that should be our goal and our desire. Dear friends, I think it's true for the church in all our interaction. That's what all the fellow members of our church need for, from us and want from us. And each one of us should make this our ambition. That this church is a place where Jesus is seen. And Jesus is heard. In the worship, in the preaching, in the sacraments, in the fellowship, in the lives and in the faces of the members. Every church meeting. Here's the secret in the church for peace. And unity. And prosperity. If we're all seeking to show Jesus. And to see Jesus. Without his presence. A church is an empty shell. But with him. It's more beautiful. Than any temple. How lovely. Is your dwelling place. O Lord of hosts to me. What a noble program. It's sure of blessing. Any group where Jesus is seen will be blessed. But that brings us thirdly and lastly to the the priority for the world. (coughs) The priority for the world. We thought of of, uh, God. We thought of the church. Now we're looking... At Christ, the church, and then we're looking now at the world. We want to see Jesus. And I suppose I would need to say that this is where the text seems to begin to break down. Wouldn't it be lovely if there were people pouring into the car park and lining up at the door and saying, we want to see Jesus. Can you show us Jesus? Our problem is that whoever says that to us, whoever asks us, Very, very few people. Who shows the slightest interest in Jesus Christ? Very few people. We're going about, as it were, saying to people, would you like to meet Jesus? And most of them are saying, no thanks. Not interested. And that's true to a great extent. Visiting doors, evangelism, the results are almost nil too often. People just don't seem interested. And yet, friends, he's the one whom they need to see. And I believe he's the one whom more of them want to see than they realise, and than perhaps we realise. Let me try to be, to be careful here in saying this. I've come to believe that not everybody who rejects a church is really rejecting Jesus Christ. Or that everybody who rejects religion is really rejecting Jesus Christ. They think they are. They may say they are. We may think they are. But they may not have ever really seen him. Or heard him. 
You see, we may not be showing the Saviour as clearly as we think we do. Yes, we invite them to meetings. Well, that's a good thing to do. It's an important thing to do. It's not really showing them the Saviour, sure it's not. Perhaps our daily lives aren't as Christ-like, as loving, as interested in others as we ought to be. The fault may be ours. We may be to some extent in blame for those who are outside. We're not communicating Jesus Christ to them. Sometimes we sound as if we're pushing a church or pushing a group or pushing a meeting. And we've got to invite, invite to these. I'm not saying that, but none of those is, is central. None of them those is vital. They need to see Jesus in our lives, in our faces, in our conversation. We need to listen to the confused murmuring of the people around us who are lost. They haven't a clue. They don't know. And what are we to do? We're to show them Jesus. We're to show them Jesus. If we can show them or tell them about the greatest, the best, the kindest person who has ever lived. If we can explain somehow how God the Father sent him to earth. How he loves lost people like ourselves. What he's done for our salvation. How glorious it is to love him and trust him. What difference it makes for this life and for the next life to be a Christian. Do we get that across to people? How he can meet the deep hunger of their hearts. How he can bless them. Would there not be some more people willing to listen? And friends, the world is entitled to ask this from us. What is our name? Who are we? Christians. Christians. Somebody who live for Christ and are about Christ. And Christ is the central. This is a Christian church. And this is a Christian book. And we are Christian people. So Christ has to be central. And somehow people are, are, to, are to pick up from us that we're, we love him. We love him. And we trust him. And we're longing that other people will come to know him too. That's why we're here today. To see Jesus Christ and to enjoy him and to show him forth. That's why we'll go to work tomorrow on Monday. That's why we'll live with our neighbour. 
Have this in our hearts. Let this be our priority. Lord, help me to show you to others. Would not be a great prayer to pray, each of us every day. Lord Jesus, help me, help me to show you to others. Now it sounds demanding, doesn't it? But what a thrilling goal it is for a life. And friends, here's, here's a wonderful thing about it. To do this, to do this, we don't need to be clever. We don't need to have fancy degrees. We don't need to be greatly gifted. We don't need to be full of knowledge. We don't need to be able to argue with people. You just need two things. To love your Lord. And to be growing more like your Lord. That's all. And that's the evangelism. Which will count. That's the evangelism. Which really will count. The people of God. Going out into the world. Longing. To show Jesus. To those around them. To say something of Jesus. To those around them. This is the mainspring of the believer's life. We wish. To see. Jesus. It's what we want, should want, in every service, every time we read our Bibles, want to see Jesus. Every time we kneel in prayer, as we live our lives day to day, dear friends, I believe it's in the heart of very many of you. I thank God for you what he's done for you that you can look into God's face and say Lord I want to see Jesus and you know what's so special about our salvation is that this longing this mark of every believer is going to be satisfied completely And at last in heaven, you and I and all God's children will realize we never need to make that request again. We'll never need to say, I wish to see Jesus. Because we'll see him. And we'll see him forever and ever and there'll be more to see But even at the beginning of our time in heaven, we will see Jesus as we never have before. A friend of many of us, Jim Calderwood, almost 24 hours from now, yesterday, Passed from this earth. To see Jesus. To see him. To see him. In his glory. 
And that's for every one of us who's a Christian. We'll see him. More and more. More and more beautiful. And about the present, the Apostle John says in 1 John 3, 2, What we will be has not yet appeared. And then he continues. But we know that when he appears we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. When he appears we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. We wish to see Jesus. That for you and me if you're a Christian will be fulfilled forever and forever. And it will always be true. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. How we thank you, O God, our Father, for your mercy and your salvation in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. O God, we thank you that you have, by your Holy Spirit, awakened us to want to see Jesus. And that here on this earth we do see him. We see him in our hearts, in our minds. We see him in our homes. We see him in our brothers and our sisters. We see him in each other in church. We hear his voice. Oh Lord, help us to be simple in our witnessing. Help us to seek to put this across to people above everything else that we want them to see Jesus as their Savior as we have. Father, we pray if there be any here this evening who are interested, who are involved, but have not yet reached that point where they see Jesus Christ as their Savior. Oh, dear Father, help them. Do for them what you've done for many of us and bring them to that point where they will trust in him for themselves. And we thank you, O God, for eternity when we shall see him together and in each other forever and ever. Amen.